0: All right, would you turn with me to the Gospel of Luke? If you're new to the Bible, it's the third one, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and I want want you to turn with me to chapter 21, so Luke 21, and we're going to read verses 12 to 19 together. So Luke 21, we're going to read 12 to 19 together. And when you get there in your Bible, with your phone, whatever, would you stand with me Um, while I read? I'm reading from the NIV, and you can just follow along. This is the word of the Lord. It's the word of God, but this is the word of the Lord, Jesus. If you have a red print Bible, this is in red. So verse 12, Um, and he's speaking of end times somewhat, but he says, but before all this, they will seize you and persecute you. They will hand you over to synagogues, put you in prison. You'll be brought before kings and governor, governors and all on account of my name. And so you will bear testimony to me. But make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves. For I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. You will be betrayed even by friends I'm sorry, you'll be betrayed even by parents, brothers and sisters, relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. Everyone will hate you because of me, but not a hair from your head will perish. Stand firm and you will win life. This is the word of the Lord. So you may be seated. Um, There is on kind of, if there's such a thing as a Christian calendar, Um, A focus on the persecuted church always happens this time of year. It's actually the first Sunday of November, um, but wanted to to bring it in this week. But it's something that a lot of churches annually focus on. So I want to share some about the reality of the persecuted church, some thoughts from Scripture, and then we're actually going to hear from some individuals who have seen it firsthand, and we're going to take time to pray for those places. So a few things in this text I just want to point out first that stand out to me regarding persecution. Um, and there are um, going to be, I think, six of these. So, if you want to just briefly jot down some notes, the first thing that I see is this: is that persecution in some form is inevitable. It's inevitable. Look at verse twelve. In verse twelve, Jesus says, "They will seize you and persecute you. They will hand you over to synagogues and put you in prison." And you will be brought before kings and governors, and all on account of my name. Um, In Timothy, 2 Timothy 3.12, Paul says everyone who wants to live a godly life in Jesus will be persecuted. Different degrees, but will be persecuted in some form. So, persecution, opposition, resistance, it is a given. It will happen to people who follow Jesus. Jesus faced resistance. He faced opposition. He faced persecution to the point of being put to death on a cross for our sin. And the reality is is that all believers, all of us to some degree in our life, in some form, will face some kind of resistance, opposition, or persecution. Um, It's inevitable. They did it to Him, and they're going to do it to us. The second thing I see in this text is not only is it inevitable, but persecution can become quite intense. um, That is the overstatement of the year. I didn't know how to word this. Um, we, in a minute, I'm going to show you a continuum persecution we don't experience to this intensity, but just look at the intensity again. Look at verse 12. They will seize you. They will persecute you. They will hand you over to synagogues, put you in prison. You'll be brought before kings and governors all on account of my name. Look at verse 16. You will be betrayed. And some of us have experienced this. Even by parents brothers and sisters, relatives, and friends. And then for some, I mean, look at 16b, the next thing it says. This deep, some will go through the deepest form of persecution, and they will put some of you to death. So, persecution, when it ratchets ratchets up, um, usually... Grows in intensity. It doesn't generally get better over time. It grows in intensity. So persecution. Jesus wanted us to know that it can become quite intense. Um, here is that continuum on persecution. Over on the what I think it's on the on the le- on the left side is what people is what they call whoever created this. They call occasional low-level resistance. Which would be us? It's what we face. It's where we're maybe teased, we're brushed off. People look at us with a funny look because of what we believe. We sense some resistance to what we believe. We might get some negative, negativism, negativism, cold shoulder. Um, increasingly, people look at us as repugnant. Like, how in the world can you believe the things that you believe? Um, talked to somebody this week, and they were telling me, like, in two encounters recently, the, the first thing somebody brought up about Christianity is how can you just believe that's the only way, right? In our culture, that's repugnant. So that's, that's the kind of um, resistance that we tend to face. There are people who face what over here is strong, ongoing opposition, and then there's unrelenting hostility and persecution. That's where people are literally, literally, they're open to scorn, they're mistreated, they are rejected by their family, many times ostracized, kicked out of their family. You may have to leave your city, your home, your region… Um, you can lose your employment or fail to be able to find employment, have your property confiscated, um, disappear, that happens around the world, become arrested, put in prison, even put in a prison camp, put to death. And when persecutions faced in much of the rest of the world, they're on this side. We're not even close to that. We're not even close, but that's where a lot of the world is. Um, so... Again, we're blessed because we live in a place where right now um, we're just facing occasional low-level resistance. Who knows in the future what it will be because persecution does, over time, tend to ramp up more and more. So who knows? I'm not going to make any predictions. But a lot of people in the world, what they face is what's on the right side of that continuum. Third thing I learned from this text is that persecution is rarely about us. It's rarely about us. You can see it in verses 12 and 17. Look at verse 12. They will seize you and persecute you. They will hand you over to synagogues and put you in prison. You will be brought before kings and governors and all on account of my name because of me. And then verse 17, everyone will hate you because of me, because of me. So what Jesus is saying is ultimately persecution is not personal. It may feel very personal. But it's an attack, not so much on the individual as it is on Jesus. He's the one that they hate. They hate His ways, as it says in John 3, that darkness does not like the light. It will flee from the light. It will attack the light. And Jesus is the light who's come in the world. So ultimately, persecution is not about me. It's about Jesus. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. Fourth thing I learn in this text is that persecution is used of God to spread the good news. It's used of God to spread the good news. Look at verse 13. So after verse 12, talking about the persecution, he says this, and so, because you're going to be thrown in prison and you're going to appear before governors and all of that, be in the synagogue, so you will, you will bear testimony to me. You will bear testimony to me. And we see this in the book of Acts, that when the church would not get out of their Jerusalem... God allowed persecution to come, and that's what made them spread finally into, uh, into more of Judea and into Samaria and to the innermost part of the world, is He allowed persecution to come to the church so that it would grow. So, counterintuitively, we know this from church history, that persecution makes the church grow. It makes the church grow. And that's why this Amish pastor said, prosperity has often been fatal to Christianity, but persecution never. It's never been fatal to Christianity. We're going to hear an example of that in a minute when we hear about one of the three countries we're going to focus on, how persecution has purified the church even more deeply and that the people who are being persecuted are following him more closely than ever before. Uh, Because prosperity is not good for Christianity. It's not good. I've been thinking about this this week. I've been thinking about some individuals you're going to hear about in a little bit that we know personally who have gone through persecution and just have been thinking about church. Um, You know, when we live in a, we live in a prosperous society, right? We live in what's called a consumer culture. A lot of people say that the Western church, we struggle with consumer church to where we all show up and we want what we want in the service and if things aren't exactly how we want it, then we're not happy with it. Or if somebody doesn't do exactly how I think they should do something in church, that we get, we get kind of bent out of shape all about it. Because we have this consumer bent that fits with our sin nature, that I want things how I want them in church, right? Um, and everything in our society pushes us that way. You, you now Not only can you just get on and buy whatever you want, but there's a lot of companies, you know, you can get on and you can actually tweak what the product looks like and you're getting it immediately, just customized just for you. And I think it's created in the church in the West kind of a customized Christianity. Like the smorgasbord, like when I come in, I've, I want the spicy stuff over here and I want this stuff with this seasoning and I prefer that kind of pizza, you know, if you think of pizza ranch. And that, that we kind of have this idea that the church is kind of about me, right? It's easy in a prosperous culture to do that. But here's what I was thinking this week, because some of our friends have gone through this. What if in 10 years, the police show up here and they, they sweep into this place They arrest all the staff, they take all the deacons, they arrest all of us, put us in prison, they take many of you, take you in for questioning, they confiscate the property, we don't even, this isn't even ours anymore, and they tell all of you that when they take you in and they talk to you, if you meet with other Christians, you're going to end up in jail, right? Imagine if we lose all of this stuff, what do we have? Think of it at the core. What do you really have? What do you long for? What's your focus going to be on? It's going to be on Jesus, right? It's going to be on him and his kingdom and his name being famous. It's going to be on community, okay? The little things that bug us about people aren't going to bug us anymore. We're going to be desperate to just meet with two or three or four in a house secretly, and the word of God is going to be important, and the worship of God in that place is going to be important, and the advancement of his kingdom, but everything else will just fall aside and will lose its importance. Is that not right? Right? Yeah, so I think the persecuted church has a lot to teach us, Um, and so persecution, rather than killing off Christians, always it makes it thrive, and it grows, because the focus becomes on what's most important, and it gets off side issues. Two final thoughts in the text. Um, The fifth one is this. We are never alone, even in our persecution. I love the worship this morning. Jen, great job. Uh... With the songs and how they spoke to this. Look at verses 14 and 15. He says, I want you to make up your mind not to worry. Make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you'll defend yourselves. For I will, I love all the wills in here, I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. I will give you words and wisdom. And you know what that is? That's a promise when future persecution comes that Jesus says, I will be there. I will be with you. I will empower you in how to act in that. It is the promise of his presence even in the midst of that. It's his promise of you're never alone even in your darkest trial, even in persecution, even if you are being taken to the death chamber or whatever, that I am with you even in that. Isn't that not a great promise to know? That Jesus is with us. And I know there are some this morning going through difficulties, secret struggles that nobody knows about, and I just want you to know, and Jen kind of said this, that he is there and he hears and he understands and he cares, that he's always present. And that's good news. And then the sixth thing, the final thing I learned from this text, is that Jesus will overcome, that he will triumph over all. He will overcome. Starting at the end of verse 16, and I want to go through 19. 19. So verse 16 says this, they will put some of you to death. Everyone will hate you because of me. But, I love the but, but not a hair of your head will perish. Now, he just said some people are going to be put to death. So he's not talking about your physical hair, right? What he's talking about, that perish language, um, is the idea of eternal perishing, of eternal damnation. And then he says it, he clarifies in verse 19, I want you to stand firm because you will win life. You will win life. Is that not good news? You will win life. He's saying, in the end, I win. We know this from Revelation. He will be victorious. He will triumph. That he will be vindicated. That every knee will bow and confess that he is Lord. Um, And Revelation says that even his people will be vindicated in the end even those who have been persecuted to the point of death, that all people will stand and realize that they were following the true one. And those of us who know Jesus, in whatever way we die, and if it's through persecution, it doesn't matter. The promise is is that Jesus one day will return. He will resurrect our body. We will live with him forever and ever and ever on new creation, reigning with him. And again, that's really good news. Erwin McManus um, said this about persecution. He said, whenever, and about this idea of Jesus triumphing in the end, whenever God is involved, the epilogue is not mysterious. God wins. Everyone on his side gets to share in that celebration. This is good news, but it can be terribly misleading. We think because the story concludes with a guaranteed victory, every chapter is lined with nothing but victories. We do well to remember that even in battles there that are Even in battles that are counted as victories, the winning side is many soldiers who died in the engagement. And so while the story of the kingdom of God is a story of victory, the individual might have a substory of conflict, suffering, and defeat. So Jesus is going to win, but that doesn't mean a battle is not still raging and that we don't know, but our substory and his story might be a story that looks like defeat. But in the end, it's to eternal life with him. So, with that in mind, I want to talk about the persecuted church. Um, David Neff said this, Most American Christians do not live typical Christian lives. I mean, think about that. Most American Christians do not lead typical Christian lives. The typical Christian lives in a developing country, speaks a non-European language, and exists under the threat of persecution, of murder, imprisonment, torture, or rape. I mean, none of us live with that. So what I want to do is I really want to talk for a minute because of that about the persecuted church across the globe. This is a map of the top 50 countries where persecution's happening right now. A little over a year ago, I talked about the 1040 window. Do you remember that? Most of that is within that 1040 window where the extreme persecution happens. And I want to give you some statistics. Every year, Open Doors updates these. And I want to tell you, it's not getting better, it's getting worse. So here are, and if that's hard to read, that's okay, you can just listen. More than 360 million Christians. That's a 20 million increase over the year before. 360 million Christians suffer high levels of persecution and discrimination for their faith. 360 million 312 million of them face, so they're on that, that, that high level, on the extreme level, 312 million Christians face very high or extreme levels. Of that 360 million, Jin, you had said one in eight, and last year it was one in eight, or the year before in 2020. In 2021, one in seven Christians faced severe persecution. One in five believers in Africa, one in five are persecuted. Two out of five in Asia are persecuted. Almost half of our brothers and sisters in Asia are persecuted. Last year, 5,000. So by last year, 2021, 5,898 Christians were killed for their faith. 1,000 more than the year before. 1,000 more than the year before. And that's just in the top 50 countries. They aren't getting numbers from other countries where stuff happens, and there's a lot that happens unknown that we don't know in those places, so these numbers are probably much greater than we think. The place in in the world right now that's seeing the greatest increase of extreme persecution is sub saharan Africa. Countries like Nigeria, Niger, Burkina Faso, um, parts of Mali, where Islamic extremism is expanding and trying to push further south. A lot of Killings, kidnappings, church burnings, the murder of pastors, of people in churches is increasing in sub-Sahara Africa. That's, a, that's an area that's, um, that's having a lot of problem. And there's another thing that's developing, and you're going to hear about this in, in a minute. There's an ever-increasing number of governments that are using technology to identify, to track, to follow, and to oppress Christians. And we're going to hear an example of that in a minute. There's a number of countries that are using the technology that's developed here, they're using it in their regimes to persecute Christians. Who would know that a cell phone, I mean, you all know you can be tracked on a cell phone, right? Um, Do you remember, this is a total side note, I probably shouldn't even go here, but during COVID, like Lyon County had this super high rate of people who weren't staying home. I don't know if you remember that. I'm like, how do they know that? And then I like felt guilty because we were going out in the Flint Hills a lot, and I'm like, oh my gosh, we're like totally skewing the statistics. But they were using phones to track if people were staying close to their home. So, okay, Um, here's why this focus is so important, and here's why it's in many churches an annual focus. Um, And I told this story last summer, but it was Fourth of July, and a lot of people weren't here. When I was at Liberty University, Joseph Tone came to visit, and he had been in Romania. And it was um, right before the fall of the, um, the Berlin Wall and all of that, he had already been expelled from Romania. And he came and he spoke in our seminary, and he talked about the persecution believers in Romania suffered. In particular, him, they, his church had a ministry where they would record his sermons on a cassette tape, the old-fashioned kind. You know, you push the two buttons, and then they would copy those. People in the church would copy those during the week, and they would distribute them all over Romania. And the police came and arrested him, and they kept arresting him. They beat him multiple times, were threatening death if his church did not stop the distribution of these tapes around Romania. And he even talked about the first time they threatened to kill him. He said he got a big smile, and he goes, like, that's the best thing you could do with me. Then I can be my Lord. They had never seen somebody they had threatened to kill before, get excited And so they determined they couldn't use that. That was not a good method with him. And so they tried other things. They were bringing other people in his church in, trying to pressure him through other people. Um, He eventually got expelled from the country country because they wouldn't stop. And when he came to the seminary and spoke, he he said that when he was in prison with other pastors, he said they were obedient, which I'm going to get to... uh, I mean, Scripture talks about mourning with those who mourn and rejoice with those who rejoice, and he said that they would be in there, and when they would be eating whatever their water and dry bread, he said what they would do is they would, they would pray for and rejoice with believers they knew in the West who had freedom and who were probably enjoying a steak at their meal, and they were rejoicing with them, and they were praying for Western believers. And he said he came over to America, and he started meeting Christians and, in America, and he realized that hardly anybody even knew about them. And nobody prayed for them. And he said, we imagined that people would be eating their steak in America, and when they would do so, with humility, they would think, we have brothers eating hardtack and water overseas, and we should pray for them. And he said, I didn't find that. And he said he was so disappointed. In First Corinthians 12, talking about the body, it says this, that our parts, all the parts, should have equal concern for each other. That if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. In Romans 12:15, Paul says, Rejoice with those who rejoice, and mourn with those who mourn. So we're doing this emphasis because I really believe we need to be aware of and remember our brothers and sisters across the world who suffer severe persecution. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to actually focus on three countries. And talk very specifically about them. So, I've got some people that are here this morning that are helping me out. So, if they would come up and join me. And, Gomera, I'm going to give Rochelle this seat. There's a strategic reason for that. Ariel, you can. Yeah, would you grab that? Thank you, Ariel. Okay, we're gonna focus, talk about three countries this morning. We want to talk about Turkey, uh, Kazakhstan, and we're gonna talk about China. Yes, I do. Okay, Um, we're gonna start with Rochelle, who was actually in Turkey. How long were you in Turkey, Rochelle?
1: Um, I was in Turkey for 15 months.
0: Okay, 15 months. So first, let's just start with Turkey in general, some of the things that we need to know about it. So go ahead.
1: Yeah, Turkey has a population of 85 million. There are approximately 170,000 Christians in Turkey. That's .002% of the population. The primary religion there is Islam. The persecution type is Islamic oppression, and the persecution level is very high. Turkey continues its status as a place where Christians can expect to encounter significant opposition to their faith. Increasingly, Turkish identity is tied to Islam, so anyone outside of that brand of religious nationalism encounters suspicion and discrimination. All Christians are under pressure in Turkey, but converts from Islam are certainly the most vulnerable. Along with Christian refugees from countries like Iran, Iraq, and Syria, the persecution against converts from Islam is greatest in the rural areas of Turkey. That's why many believers who were Muslim choose to live in cities where they have more freedom. It's not technically illegal for Muslims to convert to Christianity, but any Muslim who does decide to follow Jesus comes under immense strain from their families and communities, who often demand the convert return to islam these believers are sometimes forced to lead a double life and hide their conversion even believers who have grown up in christian grown up christian are hardly regarded as full members of turkish society and encounter all kinds of legal and bureaucratic obstructions all christians have limited access to state employment and experience discrimination in private employment especially in jobs with ties to the government The government continues to target even foreign Christians in its borders along with the foreign spouses of Turkish citizens. Christians from outside the country have been increasingly expelled from the country and are restricted as to what areas of the country they're able to go to.
0: Okay, and Rochelle, you being over there, you saw some of this firsthand. Give us Mm -hmm. a couple of examples of how you saw that at work in Turkey.
1: Yeah, so um, I especially saw this with a couple of friends of mine they were a young couple with two little boys and they were my language teachers and they had both grown up in um, Muslim families but converted to Christianity as adults and when that happened um, he especially his family was upset about that and they his mom called the police um, which they didn't arrest him because it's not illegal but um, she was just hoping that yeah to convince him to change back and um. Yeah, as they grew in their faith, they wanted to go to more of the rural areas where they could share the gospel and they could be a part of spreading God's kingdom there. Uh, and They chose to do that while I was there, so I got to see them being sent off and beginning that. But in going, they faced a lot of opposition. Um, there was only two believers at the time in that region, of the country, and um, so they went to be with them, but they were very young believers, so they left all of their community and security, um, and then they, they faced, it was hard for them to get an apartment, no one wanted to rent to them, um, and then after they got there, people started writing a lot of lies about them in the like, local news, and this happened repeatedly, and they would warn people to, like, stay away from them and to have nothing to do with them. Um, and so despite that, their church really was growing, and um, they wanted to get a building, a place that they could meet, because it was hard for them to all fit in the apartment where they were. And so they, found, they finally found someone who was going to rent to them, but... Before they were able to begin, the some people in the community came and they killed an animal and they left, like, the dead animal and all the blood in front of the building. And they left very threatening notes to them and the landlord basically saying, if you let them come here, like, bad things will happen to you. And so the guy was like, no, we, we can't have you here. Um, so they've experienced a lot of that, like the social pressure um, just to, to leave and not to be there and not to continue in what they're doing.
0: Yeah. Can you imagine? Can you imagine living in that kind of reality? Share some prayer requests. There's some ways that we can pray for Turkey, Rochelle.
1: Yeah. Pray for God to protect those who convert from Islam and to bring them to a place where they can worship him freely. I also want to pray for the refugee community in Turkey, Christian refugees from Iraq, Iran, and Syria, and other countries. They face strong discrimination from the government and those living around them. Pray also for the ministries working with these refugees. And lastly, pray for the leadership of Turkey, that they would realize Turkish Christians are a part of the fabric of their country. Pray believers would be able to work without discrimination.
0: Okay, and here's what we're going to do. We want you to, to pray with some people. Partner up if you can. Um, if you're alone, that's okay. If you're an introvert and don't want to pray next to the per- person next to you, that's fine. You don't have to do that. If you're an extreme introvert, no, you don't have to pray with your spouse. Um, you can just pray by yourself. But if you if you if there's some people around you comfortable, we just want to take a minute and pray together. Um, you know, quietly but verbally, can we take a few minutes and pray for Turkey? So, let's... Take a minute and do that.
1: Lord, hear our prayer.
0: This is Golmira, who is from Kazakhstan. Golmira, tell us a little bit about Kazakhstan. Uh,
2: the population of Kazakhstan is 19 million people. There are approximately 5 million Christians in Kazakhstan. That's uh, 0.26% of the population. The primary religion is Islam. The persecution type is both dictatorial paranoia and Islamic oppression. The persecution level is very high. Persecution in Kazakhstan hasn't changed much over the years. Christian freedom in Kazakhstan is severely restricted under legislation dating back to September 2011. That legislation restricts believers' ability to worship freely. Kazakhstan's government has steadily increased its control over religion expression in the country, which means that surveillance, Rates of meetings, fines, and arrests are part of the fabric of Christian life. It is the Kazakh Christians from a Muslim background who bear the worst persecution, both at the hands of the state and from family, friends, and neighbors. Some converts are locked up by their families for long periods, beaten, and may eventually be expelled from their communities. They can also face house arrest. In short, pressure is high for Christians across the board, Muslim families, friends, and villagers put pressure on converts, while the government imposes many restrictions on the functioning of churches. The past year has also seen uh, proposed changes to the country's religion law, which will make it more difficult for Christians to hold gatherings away from state-approved places of worship. The revised law also states that anyone meeting outside registered places of worship will need the state's approval before producing written religious material.
0: Gulmira, you were with us when we did this about a year and a half ago, but not a lot of people were here, so I wanted you back. Thank you. You've experienced...
2: Um, My family does have that Islamic background, even though they're not, like, actually practicing. islam but they are considered to be muslims so when my parents found out that i was um kind of attending the church it was immediately assumed it was a cult and i absolutely could not go and you know spend time at church so they would lock my front doors in the house every sunday morning to make sure i could not leave they would lock the doors on wednesday nights to make sure i could not leave the house um if they saw me reading the bible I would go to bed, and in the morning, the Bible would be gone. It would just be taken away. When they finally realized that I would read the literature uh, in English language, they would also confiscate all my books that were in foreign languages. Um, a few friends at my school, the Academy of Languages that I attended at the time, when they found out that I was a Christian, they would like make a circle around me and come and talk to me about how that was wrong, how I was the traitor, and I was betraying my faith and my people, uh, it never got really aggressive, but they would like provide me some Islamic re- literature, forcing me to read it to make sure that they're doing everything to save my soul and bring me back to the true faith, so to speak. So it was a lot of friends um, who tried to like, put some pressure and make sure that I'm kind of coming back to their faith.
0: Yeah, and didn't even your church, the government was pressuring them?
2: I was a very fresh newcomer at a time, and I didn't really understand what was going on. But um, there was a lot of talk and a lot of stress uh, from, with my pastor. The government would, like, come and make sure—they sh- uh, wanted us to be all registered. They wanted, like, a list of people who attend the church. And they wanted to make sure that all of us would provide our personal, like, contact information and whatnot, the ID numbers— So, it was a really, really small church, barely 30 to 50 people, but they still wanted to make sure that all of us were on some sort of paper, some sort of list, and it was really stressful and scary.
0: Yeah. Yeah, having your name on a government list is not fun, right? We know it here, much less in that situation. How can we pray for Kazakhstan?
2: Pray for Christians, and particularly for church leaders in Kazakhstan who endure government suspicion and interference in their lives and faith. Pray that church leaders who are detained would would be set free. Pray for converts from Islam, that they would be protected from oppression and discrimination from their family, friends, and community. Pray that Kazakh authorities will recognize the good intentions of Christians and give them more freedom to express their faith.
0: Okay. So with your same group, just take a minute and would you guys pray with each other for the believers in Kazakhstan?
2: Lord, hear our prayer.
3: China, home to one and a half billion people, China is currently the single most populous country in the world. Though her believers experienced withering persecution under Mao Zedong, the church still grew and flourished. In the early 1980s, the pressure on Christians relented somewhat and the growth continued at remarkable rates. But that has changed in recent years and severe persecution has returned. Watch this video taken of authorities coming into a church gathering to break up the meeting and arrest the house church leaders.
2: 我们愿意两百人
3: The video was shot in the very city where one of our old students lives and is deeply involved in her house church. We will call her Wisdom. She came to Emporia a few months after receiving Jesus in her home city and was discipled in her faith here. She returned home, committed to being a vital part of a local body of believers and reaching others for Jesus. While that video was not of her church and her church leaders, she experienced the same things. Police came to their gathering one Sunday after the service had finished, and what was a good-sized gathering of believers had to go underground and break into groups of six to eight people to meet in homes. Another student, who is one of our own, who lives in a major eastern city, has experienced the same thing. Her church has also had to break up into much smaller units of people who meet in homes or apartments. What makes all of this more difficult is the fact that China has become the surveillance state supreme. You're tracked everywhere you go. You have to scan your phone virtually everywhere you go. When you leave your apartment, when you enter a store, when you enter the school, when you return to your apartment, it's difficult to be a believer in China these days.
0: Yeah. And we've talked to wisdom recently and what has she said about the church there despite this like what's been happening
3: um so actually like about a year ago we got a text from wisdom specifically and said don't text me don't make any contact because they're watching us and that was it that's all she said and so we had to wait and pray and um a couple months later she finally texted us back and said it's okay to talk now they're not watching us as closely right now but when we were talking to her after that happened she was just sharing just how deeply she felt God's presence during that time and um, how important it was that she knew that we were praying for her and she specifically said I remember that she would much rather be experiencing the persecution because she knew how much god was with her during that time then she would prefer to be here in america and safe, so to speak
0: yeah how can we pray for china
3: pray for wisdom and kelsey and their churches that their faith would be strengthened pray that faith will flourish in china and more people will discover god's love in spite of very intense surveillance and threat of disruption pray for our believers in china ask god To help believers persevere in their walk with Him and for the once again small house churches to grow and flourish, pray for the authorities in China to recognize the importance of religious freedom and allow the church to gather and worship without restrictions.
0: So let's take a minute, our group, and let's pray for for believers in China. with friends.
3: Lord, hear our prayer.
0: Okay, can we thank these guys for coming up and sharing? Good job, um, Jen. Why don't you and Mel come on up? We're gonna have one song of worship, um, and it's really about the core of what we believe and what's what's most important. And then we're gonna um, have communion together. Thanks for being patient uh, with me this morning and just a little extra time but to me it's worth it this is one topic if we're going to hang a little more that uh we need to do that so if you would um yeah join us in worship i'll let jen determine do you want them to stand do you want them to okay would you go ahead and stand Mm -hmm. and while they're doing that um And I'll say this again at the end, but on each chair is an individual card, and really want to challenge you to take that home, keep it in your Bible, and daily when you're in the Word and in a time of prayer, pray for the believers in that country. Um, Last year, I got the card Uzbekistan, which was for me personally cool, unintentional, but that's the one that I laid on the chair up here. And we had actually had a student from Uzbekistan in our home named Nizom. He was not a believer a Muslim background, but I actually got to share a little bit with him. We had a really great conversation one evening. So it was a, he got prayed for every day for a year um, as I prayed for those believers. So that's something that um, we do want you to take home with you. So, Jen.
1: We're so fortunate to be able to proclaim Jesus. Let's do that proudly this morning.
4: Father everlasting, the all creating one, God Almighty. Through your Holy Spirit, conceiving Christ the Son, Jesus our Savior. I believe in God our Father. I believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Our God is three in one. I believe in the You rose in glorious life, forever seated high. I believe in God our Father. I believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. i the sun.
0: so if my servers could come on up to the tables Um, this morning we will do communion not only celebrating the fact that Jesus was persecuted and went to death on the cross for my sin and took everything from me but we're also going to do this with a sense of solidarity with the persecuted church because even if they can't be doing it in prison there's in some sense that they're um, remembering the Lord and his death together probably with their water and their, their dry bread. You know, in First Corinthians 11, 28, Paul says that when we take of the cup, we should examine ourselves. Um, J.R. Rice once said, the nev- world never burned a casual Christian at the stake. Isn't that a profound statement? So I think it's a, a good, just to take a moment and reflect on where we are with Jesus and how serious are we in following Him and... Um, Am I just one of those casual Christians that would never burn kind of thing? So take a moment, just take your heart before him, and then we will have communion together. Paul says, Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So I really want to challenge all of us to make the persecuted church part of our regular prayer diet. So take the card home, um, put it in your Bible, and pray for believers in that country regularly. We have put on the Bible on the app um, on the phone and um, and on the yeah on the app at the bottom is resources. It's on the website, ways that you can pray for the church, other ways, things you can do. You can actually try to get letters to believers in prison, so encourage you to do that. And then we did this last summer. We're doing again. There are some wristbands that look like barbed wire on the back, and I encourage you on the way out to grab one of those and to wear that again as a reminder of our persecuted. Brothers and sisters, it's a little tight, but that's not bad, right? Because if I can, if I can endure that, I can at least endure that that for them, right? So, okay, can we have a a time of prayer before we go? And Rochelle, is Rochelle still here? Rochelle, would you stand? Because Rochelle is leaving this week to go down to Mexico. Is going to be working with as one of our sent missionaries down with them in Mexico. And we just want to pray over you and send you, okay? So, Father, we do thank you for time around your word, around your table, hearing about your church around the world who just suffers so much. Help us to make our faith what mean what matters about the important things and not about trivial things. Help us to be people who pray and remember them. Lord, we pray for her and we send Rochelle as she goes down to Mexico. We um, we just we want to bless her. We are excited with the things you're going to do with her down there and how you're even going to use her to help them reach out globally to the nations. And so, Lord, we um, send her on that trip down with Mark and Chacho and for the next few years as she works with them. So, help us to be mindful of your brothers and sisters around the world, and we pray in the name of Jesus, amen. So, Twelfth, you're sent to be regularly just aware of our brothers and sisters around the world, so... You are sent.